how is everybody doing? And welcome back for another Strength Chat episode. Today, I've got a very special guest for you. Today, I'm joined by the founder of Revive Stronger and a competitive bodybuilder. Today, I'm joined by the one and only Steve Hall. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thank you. Uh, I, I can't help myself. I'm just one of those people. Uh, if whenever I get compliments and stuff, I could just end up smiling because I'm just like, <laughs> oh, man, it's so nice to hear people be so nice to like about me. And uh, yeah, it's, it's incredibly humbling as well. So, yeah, I appreciate the invite and uh, yeah, getting to talk a little bit. No worries at all. Thanks a lot for taking the taking the time to jump on. And um, before we sort of dive into the uh, podcast, especially having listened to your own podcast, what's it like being on the other end rather than being the being the host? <laughs> so it's interesting. I because I had a podcast yesterday as well I, that I was the guest. So it's it's kind of crazy to be invited on podcasts, seeing as like I don't know. I'm used to being the one inviting, but I think it's actually less fatiguing being on the my end versus the host's end because when you're the host and you'll know this you're sitting there having to take everything in think of questions oh they're continuing i'll think of a new question oh what was that other question oh what did they just say there and you're just like your concentration has to be so (laughs) there like i think a lot of people just think the host just sits there and it's just like oh yeah next question let's go but you have to really listen and that's tiring whereas when you're the person talking you can just like i don't know time just flies (laughs) and you're just talking and it's not so much of a stress so i think i i don't know which i prefer necessarily like it's it's great being a, a host because i'm also it may not come across like this but i like listening and i like just not talking a ton anyway so it's quite natural for me just to sit back and let someone go so i like both ends um yeah. but yeah the more i've done this and i mean podcasting for me is great because uh, i have tried being a doing like seminars and presenting in front of people and it scares the shit out of me <laughs> but if i'm just talking to someone like this even if thousands of people could be hearing it I don't get stressed out about that for some reason. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully you can uh, you can uh, uh, relax and have a little bit of a chat for the for the, for the next hour or so. And yeah, it's interesting you you, you say about that because um, especially over this last year or so, I've, uh, well, I've I've used um, Zoom for the um, podcast, but then obviously through the uh, through the gym. We've been using Zoom for uh, online classes and I find that really hard. Or I, I did find that really hard. I've not done as many online classes now, but when it's a one-on-one conversation, so when I've been having check-ins with online clients and that sort of stuff, I much prefer sort of the the, the one-to-one chat rather than having a Zoom where there's like 30 odd, 30 odd people in there because I always, especially when everyone's on mute, you find it quite hard to um, try and get a little bit of communication between, yeah. between everyone. Um, but been a little bit of a weird year and a bit for for everybody but um how have you been what have you been up to what's been happening in in your world recently so yeah i mean i remember it's it's crazy to think what the year has been um when the first kind of ideas about lockdowns coming in and all of that jazz and i just as anyone who's obsessed with lifting and bodybuilders in particular i think are bad for this um I, i'd say that as a neurotic bodybuilder <laughs> as soon as i saw lockdowns coming in i remember p- going on different websites and buying like i was early with the purchases i made so thankfully i didn't end up spending tons but i still i mean you still spent quite a lot in terms of like accumulating stuff over time so thankfully over the whole lockdown period that was there i ended up having a, a semi-decent setup which i think was did a ton for my personal mental health just because I know how stressed I get, like even deloading's kind of a little bit troublesome for me sometimes <laughs> and I want to get in there. So um, kind of making sure I had the, the equipment really helped and I'm very lucky to have an understanding girlfriend in a spare bedroom to be able to put it in and be able to afford it financially. And yeah, I mean, like, like I said, off air, like I'm nine floors up. So <laughs> I was like, I didn't really even consider whether or not it was safe to have this much yeah. weight like up in this building, but it's a new build. It's fine. Uh, and then obviously there was the business concerns. And I mean, in many ways, I'm so thankful that I work online. Mm-hmm. And so really the only way I was impacted was, oh, I don't have to walk to the gym anymore. I have to train from home, which kind of sucks. But in the kind of grand scheme of things, how bad really was that for me? It wasn't that bad. I had maybe a, we lost about a few of our coaches and me included lost maybe a third of our clients on, from the get-go just because it was like, 
I mean, they wait a couple of weeks, the gyms still aren't opening, it could be ages, and then it did become ages. Uh, But we quickly kind of responded and recovered and filled up our roster and was as busy as ever uh, within like a month. So it was initially a little bit scary. But as soon as yeah, I got gym equipment, as soon as it was like, oh, we're an online business, we can coach people who are in Sweden, and they never had a shutdown. So their gyms were open throughout. Um, Yeah, it became much less scary. The only the biggest things that I forget, I guess, that were probably negative. Well, but definitely negative things was we were going to run a seminar with Eric Helms, uh, Jad Feather, Mike Isretel, and Alberto Nunez. And that was going to be like our biggest seminar ever. We'd sold out like months before, like it was going to be totally epic. Uh, but obviously that, yeah. that got canceled and it's probably, we don't know we're going to make a kind of a conclusion next month in May, whether or not it can go ahead this year. Um, but I mean, it'll be 2022 then that it will have to go ahead if, if it can't go ahead this year, which yeah. kind of sucks. And then uh, my contest prep. So I was looking to compete last year uh, and I kind of got to the point, I call it like my lower end settling point for like body fat where the diet didn't bite yet. I was very lean for me. Like I'm a, a leaner individual anyway, in terms of I just settle at a leaner point. So I was pretty lean, but I was within shooting range of stage and it was just like, oh, the shows got canceled and then they got pushed back. And I was like, Nah, I'm just not for this. Like I'm already like almost stage ready. Uh, I'm not dieting for like another six months in hope that I might be able to do a show. It just wasn't yeah. worth it. So uh, yeah, it was, it was an interesting year, but I think as a, as an individual, like me personally, I, in the grand scheme of things came out of it really unharmed relatively. And yeah, uh, yeah I'm very grateful for doing the job that I do. And I think just the fact that I am a introverted person who doesn't draw a lot of energy from other people, that helped yeah oh cool with the just touching on there especially with being a you know um, an online um business did you have because i know obviously you know when the gym shut down there was kind of um a lot of people pressed the panic button and was like right we need to do everything everything online now did you find as though you changed anything that you were currently doing or i know obviously you mentioned that you know uh, 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 clients left but was that down to you know them having limited equipment because i know you know a couple of uh, a couple of clients that i had were just like look you know after a certain point with limited equipment there's not there's not much that they that, that they can do um or is there any things that you sort of added um to your toolkit a little a, yeah. a little bit more so yeah it's a really good question actually because it, it's interesting to know why people dropped off the majority was financial so they'd lost their job or they weren't sure if they were going to get furlough or what, whatever it was in their country as well so that was just scary for them they just were like it's it's a uh, i guess uh, a luxury to have a coach have a personal trainer and it's something that some people couldn't always afford if they don't have a regular income which i completely respect so it's actually you probably had it as well as a personal trainer where some people were keeping you on and you weren't even sure of their situation and whether or not they could justify or afford it fully, but they felt bad for like letting you go. And uh, so it was, yeah, not, not a comfortable time actually financially for a lot of people. So that was the main reason. But like you said, some people are like, if I haven't got a gym, what can I do? And that's the kind of toolkit lesson that as a good coach, I think a lot of good coaches came out of this lockdown period, like with more respect from their clients and also more respect for themselves in that, you can create a stimulus, like, especially for bodybuilding, but even like you said, you do powerlifting, but it doesn't mean that you have to push strength at that time. It could be a great opportunity to work on other things that are going to help your powerlifting in future. Uh, and hypertrophy is such a kind of forgiving like uh, outcome in that we don't have to train within like for strength. You have to have a certain amount of weight. Yeah. Uh, otherwise you're not going to be able to train strength. Like it's just so specific to that hypertrophy is like, well, we can train as long as we train close enough to failure, we can get away with kind of really light weights. And then you have your body weight and it's like, oh, cool. I can do things like Bulgarian split squats, pull-ups, push-ups from a deficit. I can do pauses. Uh, I can do BFR intensity techniques. So it's kind of like, oh, like this is actually quite fun. And for me, even training from home, it really made me respect the idea of, okay, I need to make sure when I'm training, the limiting factor is my muscle because sometimes stuff's just awkward training at home where (laughs) you're trying to do an exercise it's like oh this falls off or this band just starts rubbing me and gets annoying or something feels like it's going to break so i'm concentrating on that versus the movement so it really made me think outside the box a little bit more and get better at communicating and getting my clients to understand that kind of stimulus to fatigue style ratio and also getting them to understand like 
and it allowed a lot of people to get rid of their egos as well where they're like no longer focused about the weight because no one cares how much you can like to know hack squat off a wall with how many bands you can do like no one gives a shit so uh i know some of my clients when they've come back into the gym were like man i've never been able to hit so much depth on my hack squat and it's like because I, I never used to try and sit this deep. And when I was at home, I was just like, I want to maximize the stimulus and use it a little way as possible because I haven't got much available. So yeah, I think in many ways it taught a lot of my clients like how to be better bodybuilders or how to be better at growing. So that was cool. And then, yeah, the only thing we really did as a business was try and provide, we, we were providing um, workout from home templates. So uh, some of the coaches on the team, Jess and Harry did like videos of like different movements people could do from home with their kind of like furniture and stuff like this. And yeah. we threw together a little Excel template people could download and like use that to train at home. Uh, it's kind of hard because you, you're a business as well. So you kind of want to encourage people to come and sign up, but you also are like, I understand a lot of people don't have money. So you kind of want to give something out. So we're just like, let's just give out something that could be valuable to a lot of people who are maybe a bit scared and anxious about losing everything that they've gained over the past years. Yeah, it, it, it has been a little bit of a, um, uh, I think it put everyone in a, a weird, a weird situation. You know, everything was unexpected, but I, I kind of, especially in the, in the first lockdown, seeing people, you know, be uh, quite creative with what they're doing. And as, as coaches, like what you, like what you mentioned, thinking outside the box a little bit to be like, right, actually, you know, we don't have all these machines. We don't have all the, all this weight, right. What can we actually do? And I think, you know, it's, when it comes to lifting weight, it is like what you mentioned about ego. All right, well, I'm going to just stack a load of plate weight on the bar or on the machine. Whereas actually, you know, I think uh, in some aspects of it, people got back to just enjoying training and realizing that, you know, you get involved in training because you, you enjoy it and trying to be like, right, putting books in a bag or, or bands or anything like that makes it a little bit, makes it a little bit, a little bit more interesting. And as well, I think, um, the communication between the coach and the client within a circum circumstance like that only builds a better relationship and you can build a little bit more buy-in, which I think, you know, sometimes you can rely on the programming side of things rather than actually speaking to the client and being like, right, how can we work around this? What can we do? Which um, uh, I think is a really important skill to have with, with that communication with a coach. Um, so obviously um, spoke about uh, being a, a, an online business and with, with hypertrophy, uh, but for everyone listening who might not know your background, um, how Revive Stronger came about, um, just want to give a little bit of a background to yourself. For sure. So, yeah, I guess uh, the way uh, for me personally, I'd never been into uh, like particularly like bodybuilding. I didn't do. Well, yeah, I guess when I was younger, it wasn't like something I, I didn't know this is why I wanted to be um, not not at all. And I have I did I was a one on one personal trainer before this. And again, that wasn't anything that I thought I'd ever be when I was younger uh, through school and stuff like I was good at sports. It was something I enjoyed. Uh, I was kind of a, a little bit of a natural at some of like somewhat a natural like I didn't like I was, I was of the better within uh, some of the sports, but it was nothing. I took it like GCSE or to any higher education, I, I didn't take it there. So when I went to university, I did geography of business. So nothing related to what I do now. Uh, and I always loved it. And I was training since I was like 16 years old. I've been training with weights and I've been kind of active, but I never really had any like, that's what I do. I like football. I did running, I did rowing, everything, whatever I could do. Uh, and on one of my runs that I would do around campus, uh, I was I can remember vividly like having my Garmin like heart strap on and having my like Garmin watch on and it had like a previous like shadow on your watch like it used to show you like how close you were to your previous time and I can remember like this would just incentivize me I was like fine I'm going so I was on for an all-time PB on one of these 10 kilometer runs I would do around campus I came to some flashing uh kind of flashing amber traffic lights and I just legged it I was literally probably 500 meters or so away from my front door and uh, as I went I looked right and a white van came and hit me so from this I got like scarring which I obviously still have so I have scars up my back and on my elbow I fractured my skull and I was only in hospital for maybe like a couple of days and I mean if that was it like that would have been pretty good um, but the worst of it was to come so I went home and this was near enough Easter time I went home for Easter 
and then it was our, we actually had like our family over and I just remember being like I can't talk to anyone and I was just like stay I went to my room and I was just like just don't feel well and I was just like violently sick I was like having like a panic attack and just like I just remember flashing like lights and just being in it just scared I think at that time didn't know what was happening so my parents took me to Annie and I stayed in hospital for about a month uh, because they found that I had uh, low sodium levels which I think is like hypoatremia is what it's kind of called and uh they're just monitoring me and I was in a hospital for a month because if you have low sodium levels, you can essentially have a, a, a fit at any time because yeah. electrolyte balance is super important for the human body. And my body just couldn't regulate it. I always joke that I was like a camel, just like holding on to every little <laughs> bit of water I could like for whatever reason. Uh, so they think my hypothalamus was bruised, um, which is obviously just a regulator of a lot of hormones and different things within yeah. the body. So I was on medication for that um, to kind of regulate my uh, electrolytes for a long time after that. And I can remember, I was vividly remember filling up uh, innocent smoothie bottles, which are 250 mils, these tiny things. And I was like, fill that up to the top. That's all the fluid, all the (laughs) fluid I could have for the day, apart from obviously eating food. But I couldn't have like milk on my cereal. I wasn't having that. I, I wasn't having soup. I wasn't... I remember eating watermelon once and I was like violently ill that evening. It was just like, man, like I have to be really careful. So uh, it it was a really hard time. Um, It was like, it's been the worst part of my life to date Mm -hmm. was the recovery from that because not only was I struggling to feel well, I I couldn't concentrate properly. um, I didn't have good energy levels. And I was used to being this fit, like healthy guy who was like good at sports, like and, and, and a smart person I just my brain wasn't functioning body uh, properly and my body wasn't either uh, so it, it was yeah really tough recovering from that uh, and during that recovery process uh, I was I, I mean I lost a lot of the muscle I said I was training since I was 16 I had the accident yeah. at 20 so I'd lost all the newbie gains in hospital I came out like super skinny person and I also I was on a fluid restriction so I wasn't going out partying with people so I ended up just kind of really isolating myself i already said i was introverted and i was kind of a shy individual i was also bullied at school which never helps like all these things like i just went into my shell especially after the accident i I didn't feel confident enough to go and do stuff so bodybuilding's great because all you need is you and you can go to the gym do it in your own time be on your own and that's what i would do and uh, i remember going on like these this fitness forum and they were kind of advising me to go on this bulking diet. Like I was a hard gainer apparently. And I just was eating like tons. I remember I was on like 350 grams of protein and this was me at like under 150 pounds, like eating <laughs> double my body weight in protein. Uh, so I gained a ton of weight, uh, lots of muscle as well, but got like not in a good position. And then I just started educating myself more and more. And I just started falling in love with the process of bodybuilding and it, what it allowed me to do and what I tried to describe where there was kind of feeling that sense of out of control and bodybuilding allowed me to feel in control. It's like, I do this in the gym. I do this with my nutrition. I get this outcome. And I was like, that's fucking cool. And, uh, I was kind of just fascinated by it. So then in 2014, I simultaneously decided I'm going to compete in natural bodybuilding and I'm going to become a one-on-one personal trainer. Uh, I, I self-educated on the weekends as I was working like an office job in London. And it was like, I'm either going to become this a merchandiser for this, this kind of company, or I'm going to kind of follow my dreams and my passion, which is kind of becoming a personal trainer. So I did that together. And unfortunately, uh, when you do contest prep, you get incredibly tired and fatigued. And I, again, I'm already a shy, introverted person. And as a personal trainer, as you'll know, you need to be kind of somewhat <laughs> like talkative and yeah. you need to be fairly confident and be able to talk to people. Well, these weren't skill sets I had very analytical, um, like looking at the data and I had a good understanding of what needed to be done, but not communicating. So, uh, I just didn't flourish, flourish as a, a one-on-one PT and I had no energy and didn't want to do it. <laughs> so, yeah. um, there were though kind of from surrounding schools that I, I also had gone to people noticed me in that I was like this guy is like getting shredded this guy like he does I, I had a nickname compound guy because I was doing <laughs> compound lifts no one did compound lifts uh everyone was just doing like bicep curls and shit so uh yeah people were like huh like 
what do you do? And I described kind of my training and my nutrition. They're like, can you help me with that? And I was like, oh, I can maybe do this online. Because at the time I had a coach who was helping me for the show, who was doing online coaching. I was like, maybe I can do this for these people. So I started building up kind of a online roster, just like organically from this. It was never an intention to become an online coach. Um, And I was like, oh, this is nice. I can sit behind a computer and I can (laughs) just look at data and I don't need to worry about like uh, being on the gym floor that much. So um, I competed. And at the same time after that, my business started to flourish as I guess I had a social media presence and I was kind of vlogging and doing these bits and pieces. And people were like, oh, like this guy clearly knows how to lose fat and he had some muscle on his frame. So I guess people were like, oh, maybe he can coach me. So I ended up it essentially becoming my full-time gig at that point. I, I transitioned out of my one-on-one PT job and became an online coach and the Revive Stronger part of the brand name is from the accident and kind of... Yeah. Before the accident, I was actually quite healthy and well, but I mean, a couple of years after it, I was in the best shape of my life competing in the bodybuilding show. Not a couple of years, it was more than a couple. It's like four years after it, but I I managed to do that. And I was just inspired by the fact that the human body is just crazy. Like the fact that I can get hit by a van, have this kind of hypothalamus issue, it recover from that. And then I can compete in a bodybuilding show. One of the most extreme sports you can do, take myself down to essential levels of body fat recover from that be all right it's like wow like if if the body can do that like i can help people because i have an understanding of what we need to do to get this done so yeah it it that that's kind of the backstory of where revive stronger came from and then from there it's just kind of grown and grown which has been really nice yeah awesome it's a it's 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 an awesome story in terms of you know the from where you were to to you know competing in bodybuilding is is awesome and i think from that you know i always like to ask the 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 background question to get um to you know i have the listeners as well who might not have you know i know for me have a listen to your podcast there might be some people out there who haven't listened to your podcast or anything but and we've seen that you know the content that revives stronger out there but uh, to see um that progression it's uh, one it's really it's really interesting that exactly like you say the human body got going from there and just from a, a a coach's point of view um I, I always kind of believe that certain people gravitate towards towards certain coaches and, and and certain styles um you know there's the and it's not necessarily always the coach that shouts the loudest or you know and all that sort of is necessarily the, the the most effective but do you think you know um going through what you went through and the the journey that you had if you like do you reckon how did that sort of impact impact your coaching and when people were were coming with you and i'm struggling with this or you know I've, this is an issue that i've got how did that sort of impact your coaching and how you uh, communicated with your with your clients yeah it's really interesting because i think um like a big part of coaching as you said and we kind of talked about it with uh the, the kind of pandemic that that empathy side that ability to actually talk to someone relate to them communicate to them effectively i don't know if that's something i always had or it's something i've developed and got i'm sure it's something i've got better at but i don't know if some people have it and some people don't uh like i I just uh you only have to watch like uh, it's really bad but me and my girlfriend love watching reality tv sometimes and i'm like this person has no empathy like they don't understand how horrible they've been i was like they could never be a coach right whereas people (laughs) who like understand how other people feel and they kind of put themselves in their client's shoes they can get such a great understanding for that but you're completely right that um, that's the beauty of especially like online coaching you can put yourself out on social media platforms and you don't need millions of followers you don't need thousands of followers you just need like 10 percent from like a couple of hundred followers and you've got a good client base there and they just have to be people that relate to you they relate to your story your background so i've coached a lot of people who have had like bad injuries in the past who have struggled to move forward from that and i've also coached a lot of people who have struggled with a lot of the guys i end up coaching a lot of guys particularly because i'm a guy which makes sense (laughs) uh but they're guys who have been like skinny and then they've massed up and they've got over fat and then they've been kind of scared to mass again i i kind of turn that adipose phobia like this fear of gaining fat and it held me back a lot in my history and i completely got past it and like got developed a, a reasonable physique and i think a lot of younger guys especially now with social media they see all these people who are just like huge and ripped and shredded and they're like i can't go through this mass i look terrible like but it's like how are you going to get there so 
I'm, I'm really grateful that I can guide these people and just add a lot of value to their lives in that yeah. they just feel way more confident, way more comfortable. They understand the process more. So I definitely, yeah, I, I guess I think part of me has always been just a sensitive individual uh, mm-hmm. and always uh, like just have an understanding about that sort of thing. So it helps me talk to other people like that. And there'll be people who I won't be good at coaching and they won't want me as a coach. They'll be like, that guy's like way too soft for me or something uh, <laughs> because they're just like, they just want someone who's going to be hard down the line on them. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, there's those coaches out there as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, you especially when it comes to coaching, you're in there, um, the, the business of people, you know, speaking to people and some people will gravitate towards some with different coaches. Um, I know for me, especially, you know, I've got um, uh, powerlifting clients and, and strength clients. I've got people that are coming for, for fat loss some guys that are coming in who just want to put on put on a little bit of muscle and sometimes yeah when i'm uh, uh putting the calibrated plates back or the or the powerlifting bars back sometimes it's you know the you can get a, a different impression of, uh, of of some people whereas actually you know we said it you, you mentioned it a little bit at the start about you know just being like listening to what they're saying you know being able to communicate a little bit a little bit more and having that that having that understanding because essentially as a coach you're there to to there to help people and then um, one of the uh, one of the key words i thought was was good there is value you know giving them something they they need to you know increase their confidence because sometimes it can be quite uh nerve-wracking or um people can be unsure if they've you know especially with social media seeing people putting muscle on and then being like right well what am i what am i doing wrong um and that kind of goes nicely into i know i sent over a couple of the topics in mind but especially having um, gone through that process yourself of, you know, uh, trying to put muscle on, but then, um, you know, uh, maybe putting a little bit of fat on at the same time and then, you know, prepping for the, for the um, bodybuilding competition. The benefits of using science, but then actual real world, you know, the bro science, if you like, of, you know, on the, on the gym floor, how have you found um, balancing that? And where do sometimes people go wrong in terms of picking and choosing what they want to listen to when it comes to the science or the, uh, in the gym, um, in the gym experience, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, it makes complete sense. It's, um, it's, it's a great question. It's one I definitely relate to because I've been, I don't know if I've been on both sides of the coin. I can't say I've ever been like pure out and out bro. Although when I first started training, there was certainly no science involved. Uh, <laughs> not, not directly. I wasn't thinking about what I was doing really. I, I just followed. I remember there was a personal trainer in my gym who was just like stacked. And I was just like, huh, how should I train? He was like, oh, if you can train five days a week, just train every muscle group like over those five days. So one like hit muscle groups once a week. So that's how I trained for a long time. And no wonder I didn't grow a bunch because science would dictate that probably not quite the best frequency and maybe wasn't doing enough volume and focusing on the wrong things there. Whereas for him, it maybe would have been great. So that's where a lot of trouble comes in. That's where social media can be an issue because these guys or girls with amazing physiques, they might've got their one way that worked for them in their situation, but they try and apply it to everyone. And then when you're younger and you don't know any better, you look up to the the people at the top of the top. You're like, Oh, like if they're doing that, and they're there. Surely if I do that, like then you, that's where you end up doing flex magazine and you do Ronnie Coleman's workout. Cause you're like, this is how I'm going to become Ronnie Coleman. <laughs> so science is great because it gives you the principles behind training and nutrition programming. It may, it allows you to have an understanding of, okay, so they're doing that program and it works for them because of their situation. But if I'm in this situation, I'm me and I'm natural underdeveloped at the start of my training career, maybe I have to manipulate some of these things to make this program work better for me. So that's, that's where the kind of the science and the education really helped. And for me, unfortunately, I don't have amazing genetics. So I couldn't get away with just train really hard, train myself into the ground and just eat tons of food or not eat tons of food. I ended up just like spinning my wheels for a long time. So like I said, I trained when I was like 16 to 20 and then I had the accident, like for a good two years, I was basically just, recycling my newbie gains i I wasn't seeing anything progress there so to get past that kind of intermediate early intermediate stage to late to advanced that's where you have to get a bit smarter about things and nutrition is relatively simple like you get into a surplus you get sufficient protein you're doing almost everything you can do Uh, there's obviously some nuance there and you can do some smaller things that are going to help but you've got the majority there but training is something a lot of people get confused about because 
even if you, and for me, when I was first educating myself about training, it was like, I'm just, all these books were about strength training. There was no hypertrophy specific book. We didn't have Brad Schoenfeld's textbook or Renaissance periodization. I mean, that hypertrophy book's only just come out. Yeah. So I found it really hard to like understand like, oh, like why is 531 not great for hypertrophy? It's like, <laughs> well, it's a strength-based program. Like you can do boring, but big, but maybe it's not the, the ultimate program for you for hypertrophy. So I did tons of experimentation did a lot of just copying like someone like matt ogus who i looked up to I, look, I looked at what he was doing i was like he's jacked so if i do what he does it's going to get me jacked <laughs> i just didn't understand the principles so it wasn't until i started understanding like specificity overload fatigue management like periodization phase potentiation and then i understood well i got an understanding of flexible dieting much sooner which helped and that was through uh, body recomposition alan aragon uh, la mcdonald I mean, then I was, oh, calorie balance, oh, protein, uh, protein intakes are body weight dependent, spread it through the day, carbohydrates around workouts and uh, not being worried about eating past 6 p.m. and things like this. And uh, that, that, that helped a, a ton and it made it a lifestyle for me. And I was just hooked by learning more. And I, I was hooked because when I applied what I learned, I started seeing more and more results. But there was a point, and this is where it might sound like I'm like 100% pro-science, like poo-poo all the bros but this is where you can get into a hole because there was a time where i would just like cherry pick so i'd be yeah. like right i don't want to gain fat and i mean this study says i can gain muscle in a deficit this study says i can gain muscle at maintenance i'm just going to eat at maintenance and like i'll be fine i'll just train hard and i'll grow and it's like Ugh, didn't work <laughs> um, i maintained for a long time and that's because when we look at the literature as a whole and you look at what's the second most powerful kind of anabolic stimulus past uh training and obviously anabolics uh is is nutrition it's like oh put yourself in a surplus you really give yourself that edge and i just have a way better understanding for that and that's where the bros were right because it's like they go through these bulk and cut cycles they're not just continuously eating at maintenance and getting huge and jacked and stage ready it's just not going to happen so um there's definitely things like that and i mean all science essentially and like brad schoenfeld himself is a self-confessed like like uh gym bro like he's, yeah. that's, that's his background is he just loved to train and a lot of the science is driven by the bros doing it in the first place mm -hmm. uh, so like without them trialing and doing stuff and experimenting we don't have the ideas of what to test and sometimes they get proven right so there's things like pump like a, we've all heard of the pump and arnie was obsessed about it and i think in the past, people would have been like, fuck, that's just bro science. Like, that's bullshit. Yeah. Don't chase the pump. It's like, oh, maybe there is something to the pump when we see there's cell swelling and kind of th that, that leads to potentially an avenue to hypertrophy. It's like, oh, okay. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. So science is just like giving us the, I always, and Brad says this really well, where science is just gives us like the starting point. If we don't have yeah. science, where do we start? Like uh, it's the best form of evidence we've got. If we look at the literature, let's start with that and then apply it see where it leads us and then okay this is working this isn't working let's go with that so i think it's really important and i mean if you and i'm sure it's the same for you Stephen, when you have a new client and they give you like no background data or very limited or whatever yeah. it's like right we'll start with this because this is what kind of the science says on average is going to work for most people and then after a few weeks you're like oh okay we can tweak this to make it a bit better it's a bit against maybe what the science would dictate but in your situation what we're trying to do for you right now there isn't a study on that <laughs> and yeah. uh, we're, we're going to see and we're doing our own scientific study on you uh, as an individual so yeah you yeah. you've got to find the best of both worlds and unfortunately people love black and white and that's where <laughs> i was i i love like just a black and white answer like science 100 percent. let's ignore any of what like i'm seeing in real life but the best and evidence-based practice is combining your experiences with the science. It's not one or the other. Yeah, absolutely. I quite like the the way you worded that there. Then, of actually, we we're doing a a study and an, an experiment on 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 that one on that one person because, um, yeah, sometimes when people come in, oh well, I, I kind of want to achieve this, kind of want to do that, and then it's like right, having a little bit of a background of what they've done and having that having that baseline, exactly with the with the research saying right on average this study right if we do the x y and z we're gonna be heading in heading in sort of the sort of the right direction um and there's sometimes like that like i know from a from a powerlifting point of view sometimes you know you look at um technique for example and it's like right 
how we've looked at what should be happening um that's that's the wrong technique or some people who can cut with loads and loads of loads and loads of volume and it's like what what is how how are they being able to cope with that but you know it's horses for courses i think you've got to um change that change that with the with the person um in terms of the you know especially when we talk about you know Brad Schoenfield, Brett Con- Brett Contreras, who are all you know they they admit they are bros. They've been in the gym training a long time, but yet they've got however many amount of papers you know uh, b- b- behind the names. Um, what's your thoughts on or why do you or experience of uh, coaches that are using science but they're not keeping up to date with it? And on the second question from that is what would you recommend to keep up to date with the, with the, with the science? Because I know, I know for me, I've, uh, I signed up to um, mass um, with Eric Helms and Greg Knuckles and, you know, there's some stuff in there that I'll, I'll brush over some things that are, oh, okay, that's quite interesting. That's a little bit more up to date. Whereas I sometimes um, feel as though some coaches, especially with social media, will put a study up and be like, right, this is gospel. This is, this is what we're going to work towards. So what are your thoughts and sort of ex- experience with that? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I think we were recently asked something similar on the improvement season, where it's kind of like, what do you do as a coach to stay like educated and on top of things? And I think you might agree with me, Stephen, that probably nothing that you, since you've been subscribed to Mass, probably nothing in there is like revolutionized any of your training or nutrition practice, because the principles of training nutrition are really unlikely to change. Like we have some big rocks, like calorie balance. Like we need to hit a certain amount of protein. Uh, we know like creatine, for example, this is unlikely to be some like amazing supplement that comes out. It's just like, Oh my God, like you have to be taking this. It's going to take ages for that anyway, because a bunch of studies need to be done. And then with training, it's like, we have some really well-known principles now. And uh, so I think there are people that will, not stay educated and i think that is a trouble but i think once you get to a certain level of education a certain level of understanding you just learn so much through your clients like you talked about before like it's your own experiment with your clients and um, i learn tons through coaching people i think it's really great at the early start of your coaching career the first few years when you haven't got so many clients so you've got tons of time invest into podcasts into certifications reading books get that baseline of knowledge apply it on yourself learn And then once you've kind of got a very good understanding of it, spend more time learning for your clients, putting effort towards that. And then, yeah, have something like mass on the side, I think is an amazing one. Like it's like perfect. Like it's a godsend to be able to have that where if a client's like, what do you think of, I don't know, this supplement, or did you see this paper? You can go in there and be like, okay, these guys, I trust they're evidence-based. They know their shit. They're going to talk me through the study. And now I can have that as a resource to understand it better for my client if they want to understand it, or we can choose whether or not we want to apply something. But yeah, it's, it's, it's the same as you like i have like i'm subscribed to like the examine member site so i have access to all their supplements but it's like i mean my recommendations are still just the core basic supplements everyone's known for years it's only if something comes out where i'm like i want to find out more about that so very much for me my education mainly comes through working with my clients now doing podcasts is great because i can ask the questions and dig into things i want to learn about but even when i hold like debates and do those podcasts with people it doesn't normally really change very much that i'm doing on in the background and if it does it's a tiny little detail that at the end of the day is maybe like who knows if it's better or worse even like some of these things yeah. we're pinching uh it's just like minutiae at the end of the day so yeah it's nice to have like the mass subscription the exam in there but past that like like you said look at it each month if there's a paper that like springs out to you have a look at it yeah. but otherwise i just use it as like again like uh, maybe i will do a a uh, infographic or something on a paper that's come out but again like you said there are people that are just doing this and they they're just cherry picking a study and it's like oh this study said this it's like yeah but what is the whole body of evidence and is that just one study or like what how many others have been done how good was it i think sometimes people use it as just like a a marketing tactic where and it's a very well-known one actually loads of like you see that i always laugh when i see like l'oreal or like makeup brands and they're like using this science they're like oh i didn't know there was so much science in my makeup but it's like <laughs> people just get sold on numbers and statistics and like fancy words and chemicals so sometimes science can be used as a bit of a like a marketing tool in that sense and i think unfortunately that leads to this sort of like 
posting what up one study and it's like this at this it's like yeah but what does that change nothing yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. there's i've had conversations with um coaches i've worked with and you know coaches and, and personal trainers that are in um you know other other gyms as well and you know sometimes when you when you dive into some of the studies right well actually what your the your um who you're putting this out to compared to the study that was on. Like I had a conversation with one coach and it was about the study was actually done um, in a hospital on um, obese women. And then that was trying to be put out or put out there as like a blanket statement of, right, this is what everyone should do. And it's kind of, you know, when you look into it a little bit more, it's kind of like, right, okay, well, I can see where you're coming from, but really that studies, it's maybe been a little bit misinterpreted. Um, of what it's actually of what it's actually being uh, being used for, and I I agree. I think when it comes to like, I love strength training, uh, hypertrophy. You know, it's something that I've I've, I've been I've been always interested in, and it's nice to just you know as as an interest and a hobby to keep reading up on that and, and keep that up to date. But in terms of the you know nutrition and training side of things a lot of the fundamentals and the, uh, the the foundations that are going to get people results. A lot of people already know a lot of the things that, you know, uh, especially when you mentioned about um, uh, podcasts and speaking to other coaches is the coaching style, how you communicate and, and building that skill set, like the, the art of art of coaching, if you like, whereas in terms of a programming, most, most, you know, PTs and coaches will know the fundamentals of a, of, of a programming and be able to put, put something together from the client's point of view then especially you know i don't know whether it might it may differ especially you know predominantly being being online but when they're um you know uh, working with a, a an online coach searching through looking on social media typing th- typing things up how do you or uh, how do you work with your clients or recommend them to filter out some of the information do you usually say um uh, you know recommend that they go out and search things and then come back and ask you questions and be like right well actually on this topic i would maybe recommend you're not far wrong but i would maybe recommend you you, you know you have a look at this content content instead what kind of your thoughts on that yeah it's a good question i think definitely when i was a one-on-one pt that's where that sort of thing would be way more uh kind of something I have to think about. I can specifically remember training like a, a woman when I was one-on-one PT and she was like, this is going to make me like really bulky, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I, I saw this girl talking about how I shouldn't be lifting like this because I'm going to get really jacked or whatever. And I was like, oh, this it's like, I don't come across this person now. <laughs> Everyone who comes to Revive Stronger has pretty much been following the podcast or evidence-based information for such a long time that thankfully they're already in like <laughs> that, that, that kind of caption, which is, it's kind of scary because I want to reach out to more people, more general population people and get them to understand things more. And then hopefully they get drawn in. But I always just think like if there's a few things you can look at, I guess, uh, as an individual. So when they're looking for information, it's kind of like, so if, if you ask them about what they're proposing they have a good answer for you and can they give you an answer in a way that you can understand because they might have a good answer for you and i've done this before i've asked someone who i'm like i don't quite understand what they're saying so i'll ask they give me this answer i have no fucking clue what you're saying (laughs) and if they can't explain it to you like you're a child they don't understand it well enough um and so that's where i think that's a great kind of fail safe way to like if you see someone who's claiming to be an expert first ask them a question if they don't even answer you or if they block you or if they ignore you then you you pretty much have your answer and if they answer it and they they don't either have a good answer or if their answer is just too complicated for you to really understand then they don't understand that information well enough or they're kind of like the amount of sometimes i see stuff and i'm like i'm i don't even understand like i don't know if that's true (laughs) or not like i just don't understand it like uh, and when that happens i sometimes feel a bit worried myself and then i'm like man if they can't explain that simply I'm just going to like, it's just, to me, it doesn't seem like it's likely to be true or they just don't understand it well enough. And so if they don't understand it themselves, then I'm not going to listen to them about it. So I think that's a good way of doing it. So yeah, if people, and then other people might just say in their answer, it's like their experience through themselves or their clients. And I think that's fine. But when you, people give you that answer, you can then rank it in like prior, like order of hierarchy in terms of how valuable is that information. That's essentially anecdote, which is like one of the weakest forms of evidence. Whereas if they give you kind of 
like better explanations, principles, they, they sound like they, they know their stuff, then it's going to be way more helpful. So yeah, I don't know if I gave you a great answer because a lot of our, uh, thankfully, a lot of our clients already like they listen yeah. to the podcast and that's like their, their source of information. I'm like, well, that's great. <laughs> Not that I agree a hundred percent with all my guests, but I agree with a, yeah. a lot of them to, to the, the most of the extent. Yeah, definitely. I, I just like to ask that question because I know um, a, a lot of people might be, look, or a lot of people might be listening to this and thinking, oh, well, yeah, do you know what? Actually, like I've asked a question and I didn't get, I didn't, I didn't get an answer, an answer back from there. And, how I liked it because especially why I signed up for um mass is that being at university you, you sign a, you, you kind of get dives straight into um reading studies and it's been a long time since I, I read a study and I, I I think I went on even like Google Scholar or something like that you know out, out of curiosity and I was like yeah I don't know how to read through any of this and the mass is really helpful because it is literally just you know someone writing a writing a blog an article and being you know this is what i thought this is this is the this is the pros and cons of it and yeah most most people who, are, who have worked with me or, or or train me will realize i like to keep things simple if it's simple you can stick to it a, a, a lot more and if you can explain it you know you're not you're not going to get you're not going to get confused and I think sometimes, you know, when people when people do ask, exactly like you say, when you do explain it, and it can be a little bit, um, it can be it can be put in a simple way that they can understand. Oh, okay, that that makes a lot more sense. Rather than if you give a convoluted answer, you've got a lot more questions than actually answers. And probably the following following on question is flipping back to the coach's point of view. What are your thoughts on just saying, I don't know. Do you think sometimes coaches and personal trainers are, and you know, when we say about cherry picking studies, do you think sometimes coaches and, and, and PTs are a little bit worried about saying, yeah, do you know what, actually, I don't know the answer. I don't have any experience of that, but I'm going to go find out for you. And, you know, let's try it. Going back to that analogy of, right, we're going to do an experiment on you as a client and see what's going to work best for you. Yeah, I think that, I think that's great and an absolute must because, um, I've been there where I wanted to have all the answers and the more, you know, uh, the more you realize you don't know. And <laughs> you, you said it really well, where, uh, you're not a researcher, you, to be a researcher, you need to be like in the field for a long time, have a certain level of education, understand how to read studies, understand like what certain words even mean and what certain measurement things as statistics. And it's like, I can't, I can't do that. <laughs> I couldn't be the best coach. I can be to also do that at the side. Like it's too much, too many hats to kind of juggle. Yeah. We're coaches. That's the best we do. We're practitioners. So what we can do best is, okay, look at the researchers. What are they telling us? Oh, maybe as a practitioner, now I can implement that in a better way than they can. And that's where we can really help. Like you said, dumb things down a little bit. Um, I like analogies. That makes it really simple for a lot of people yeah. uh, because we're only like a step above our clients. Really. We have a bit more experience and education. And so we can help them in that way. And then there will be things that I've, I've definitely had it where people will ask me and I'm like, that's out of my scope or I, yeah. I really don't know. And like you said, it's great if you can say, I don't know, and but I'm going to try and find out for you. And sometimes you, you can't find out and you just have just, it's better to be honest than try and give someone false information that might harm them. And normally if there's something, and I'm sure this is the same for you, Stephen, if it's something you don't know, then it's probably not something that matters a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, like it's normally stuff that's just like, um, or you can refer out. So I've definitely had people who have maybe had like little injuries or they might, I don't know, there might be some blood work they've got and something looks a bit off. And I'm like, that's just, that's out of my scope of practice. Uh, I'd, I'd be doing you a, a disservice if I tried to diagnose that or give you kind of information. Cause I'd just be like Googling it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, you can do that. So um, like we have a physio on our team now, which is great. So I can refer people out to actually have a consult with our physio or if people are, I don't know, interested in like anabolics or something. I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm clueless. Talk to Broderick <laughs> Chavez. He knows way more than I do. Like, I don't want to deal with that. Or blood work, like your doctor, like, please talk to your doctor, your GP, uh, because they're the person who's best educated to be able to help you in that situation. So for yeah. sure, like saying I don't know is a really good answer in a lot of cases yeah i think as well with that especially being able to to refer out is uh it, it comes across as being an air of of professionalism and actually realizing that look i'm here as a coach to get you to x y and z and, and achieve this but i'm not here to be able to um 
diagnose this or be uh, able to help that. I'm still here. You know, I've had it before where people have had in- injuries and I've worked with their physio and referred to them. Yeah. And it's good not to, you know, step on step on their step on their toes. And um, yeah, I think that sometimes um, uh, a better service and better value for the for the client rather than trying to be a jack of all trades and actually doing doing more harm than good. Um, with that with that in mind, in terms of when you're working with clients and being like, right, actually, you know, this is the chunk of time that we're going to work towards. And then, you know, the whole thought of, right, we need to trust the process. You know, it's going to take time. It's not going to happen. We've done, right. I've done three sessions, right. Why aren't I shredded? I've literally trained every day this week. Why, why I've, I've done everything that you've asked in terms of food. Why aren't I shredded? What's your sort of process in terms of um, buying in terms of, um, allowing the clients to be like, look, it is going to, it is going to take time. It's not going to, it's not going to happen overnight. And, you know, you know, if, if there are any red flags in terms of, right, actually do we need to change things around or do we need to adjust as we go? Great question. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a tricky one when you have people like that. And I guess our first step of trying to flag this is in our application form um, for our online coaching. We have, I, I can't remember what the actual question is, but essentially for one of the answers, they can say they get frustrated when they don't see results quickly. And so that's already a red flag. Cause you're like, this is that person that jumps to like bulking to cutting to like this program to this program and this machine to this machine and whatever it is. So uh, a lot of the time that's what it ends up being. So you already, I try and talk through that within the consultation and just get an understanding of give them realistic expectations. So I might ask, what are you looking to achieve? Okay. This is like a reasonable timeline that I think you can probably achieve that. And they might say stuff that I'm like, "Uh, you're not going to gain this much muscle or whatever in that time window. Or if they, and sometimes they ask, and you probably have this as well, Stephen, whether they'll ask you kind of, is this, can I gain this much? Like how much muscle am I going to gain in this time? And you're like, oh, (laughs) I don't fucking know. (laughs) Like in theory, maybe you can gain this much if you do this, 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 but you could gain more than this. It could be less than this. Like let's put our best effort in. Let's do what we know works. Um, and then manipulate that over time and you'll be putting your best effort in and you'll get the best outcome you can possibly get. And that's why I like people to focus on is rather than looking at that outcome goal all the time, let's look at kind of the internal processes and the step-by-step goals that we need to get done each day to eventually hit the outcome goal. So it is about like ticking those boxes of like, okay, let's make sure you're getting your protein. Let's get your calories. Let's get your training in steps, whatever it needs to be week to week. And if you keep doing that consistently, that's what's going to bring you that outcome. So I like to get people to focus on those process oriented goals. That's what it's called. That's what I was looking for uh, <laughs> so that they can then enjoy that as well. And it can start being a lifestyle and they can get carried away with the process so that eventually like six months down the line, they're like, Oh, I've been re- like, they've just, I don't know, just been milling away at it, enjoying it. And then they like look at themselves or like they hit a lift and like, Oh shit. When I compare that back to six months ago, like it's way improved. So yeah. that's what I try and get these people to understand and focus on. And it comes from, again, just an understanding of like, how long do these things theoretically take? What's a realistic outcome to have? Um, sometimes I ask, especially for people who um, are a little bit more gen pop and they don't like, they haven't been following us that long. They, they don't maybe understand these things as well and how long they take. I just ask for like a photo of who they're looking to like, look like eventually. Yeah. And that just gives me an awareness of, okay, first of all, how realistic are they? Like if they're putting Ronnie Coleman down. I'm just like, <laughs> oh shit, man. we need to have a talk here. Um, or if they're putting like, I don't know, Matt Ogus or their, their favorite influencer or whatever. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like this person's actually natural. Um, and like, they've been training for a decade. You've been training for two years. Like, so you kind of, you can start selling it to them that way. Like, okay, like that's where you want to be if we want to get there, like we need to focus on all this stuff and let's focus on enjoying this stuff, getting the best outcome. And hopefully we're eventually kind of get there, but there will be weeks. And the thing you said there in terms of like, I've done everything right this week. Why? And it's often like the scale weight hasn't come down or I don't look any different. And that's where as a coach, like it can be, it's kind of upsetting sometimes because you want your clients every week to feel like they've achieved something. And then you just have to, as a coach decide, like, do we need to make an adjustment or are they on track and we just haven't seen the outcome yet because of whatever reason. So then that's when you look into like, okay, have they actually been adherent to their calories? Have they done what they said they've done? Uh, and that's where you have to initially get their buy-in and trust and build that rapport 
so that they can be honest with you. Because I have very rarely now do I get it, but I have had clients who have like lied to me for a few weeks. And then after those weeks, they come out and they're like, let's see if I've, I've been, I've not been telling you the truth over the last couple of weeks. I'm like, oh shit. They're like, I just, <laughs> I, I don't know. And they, they sometimes are their own worst enemy in that regard. And you can't help them if you don't have clear, honest data. So building up that rapport and that relationship and getting their trust from the get-go is important. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the way I try to deal with those sort of people. Yeah, definitely. I think as I think as well with that, sometimes sometimes it's a process that you've got to go through that actually they maybe don't tell you everything at first, especially if you know they you're potentially their the the first coach that they've that they've worked with. And you know, sometimes you need and then it gets to that point where you have that conversation of like, look, you know, the more honest you are with me, the more accurately I can I, I can help there um and, and go on. And then it is that of conversation of all right, well, now we know why the weight isn't going down on the scale now we know we're not we're not we're not going on there and there yeah i do spot i actually had a conversation about that uh, this morning in some of my check-ins and it was a case of yeah actually um i didn't tell you about about this food or stuff like that and it's like right well now i know that makes that make that makes yeah. a lot more sense um on the on, on the flip side of that especially probably a little bit more specific to the uh, the guys that you're working with who potentially may have worked with other coaches and have uh, a little bit more um experience how do you find sort of, um, you know, right, okay, this is the plan, this is the information, this is the previous training that that, that, that you've got, and this is a plan that we're going to go forward because sometimes there can be people who have dotted around with a couple of coaches and being like, all oh, right, well, I don't agree with that. I'm going to I'm, I'm going to go do something else. How much flexibility do you give them of what they've previously done in the past, but then also try and um, drip feed, right, actually, I think this is going to be the be the change going forward because especially with you know the the bodybuilding the hypertrophy side of things sometimes you can have a look at you know going back to the science side of things of oh well actually i've been reading this i've been trying to do this i'm coming to you as a coach i still want to do this but what what else can we what else can we add in cool good question i think uh this is something that maybe we need to add to our application form uh is like have you worked with previous coaches before um, and maybe like how recently and how many coaches in the last year, uh, yeah. because it's a big red flag for me. And I've seen it. I, I've, we've had clients come to us and they've left and I see on their social media, they've gone with this coach. And then a month later, they're at this coach. And I'm like, no wonder we didn't <laughs> like, no wonder they didn't stick around uh, because there is that individual that's just searching for that silver bullet the whole time. They just want that secret that maybe this coach has or this coach has and, Oh, they, they seem to coach differently. You know, let, let's go with this person. And they infuriate the hell out of me because <laughs> you all know this, uh, like to get great results and like big results with someone physically, mentally, everything, uh, education, you need to have like six months plus with someone. If someone's sticking around for just your minimum time, whether that be one or three months, like just not a lot's going to happen in that time. You're not even built like a really like solid relationship with them necessarily in that amount of time either especially if they're that sort of person that seems hard to sell to as well and hard to kind of earn their trust so it's always a red flag when i hear of someone having several coaches especially recently because i'm just like what are you looking for because yeah. and especially if i know any of the other coaches i'm just like i know they're a good coach i know they're going to have been doing things where you will have been getting results like was it their personality was there something that didn't click fine if personality whatever that's fine but uh often it's they're just looking for that that secret that someone else yeah. has and oftentimes they just be disappointed because a lot of coaches a lot of good coaches use the same fundamental principles there's just like little programming tweaks that maybe that are a bit different but i certainly have and normally in the consultation i'll kind of talk them through what does your nutrition look like how do you normally program that and then i'll describe kind of what my process is normally nutrition is like very simple most uh, like it's unbelievable how many people now do like my fitness power flexible dieting yeah. that sort of approach sometimes they want to do like intermittent fasting or have like higher calorie days lower calorie days where maybe i wouldn't but that's where i'm flexible enough to be like yeah that still ticks off the principles of protein yeah. calorie balance or you're prioritizing carbs around your training this is i think it might not be quite optimal but if that suits you that's totally cool that's awesome that's great Training is where maybe it diverges a little bit more where people have like more extreme differences with their programming. And again, I just explained like, have, do you know relative intensity? Have you used RER before? 
Um, are you looking to learn about like volume landmarks? That's kind of how I like to approach things. Yeah. And most people like are signing up because they want to do that. And they already know that's kind of the approach that I'm going to be taking with them. And other people, we might start with that. And they're like, you know what? I wanted to try this. It's just not working. So then we kind of trying to find a middle ground where I'm like, I don't want you to just like, I don't know. They want to train to failure, super low volume. And I'm like, may, maybe I think you're going to struggle to see the best results with that method. Can we find a middle ground where maybe we start closer to failure with less volume and then we eventually hit failure for like a couple of weeks. So kind of try and find a middle ground with someone. So we find the kind of the best for them, because I think some people have like preferences that are just way far away from what they need. Um, yeah. And then other people, and a lot of people I coach, thankfully, are just like, they make their needs, their preferences, uh, sorry, they make their preferences, their needs. So, yeah. and that's what I always like to say is like, anything that I need to do, I want that to be my preference because results are my preference. That's the main thing I'm, I'm after. But other people, I have to kind of just make small tweaks. And as, like I said, as long as it fits with the overall principles of like training, nutrition and everything, and I'm happy and comfortable with what they're doing, then I'll do it. Um, it's very rarely that someone's going to do something like so extreme where I'm just like, <laughs> nah. um, the only time I've literally turned clients down is uh, it's, I've only had it where they're female and maybe they haven't got their menstrual cycle. They're not in a healthy position and they want to compete. And I'm just like, uh, I'm not willing to make your health worse than where it is now. So yeah. that that's really the only situation I've got into. Yeah. I think it, it kind of goes back to the, the, the first topic that we're having in whereas because when you mentioned there about the um, the application, when someone when someone's coming to working with you, gathering that information and being like, right, well, actually, you've uh, especially if they've worked with a coach before, you've done this, right? So that means I'm going to pick this out of the, the science world, if you like, and then you know meeting them in the meeting them in the, in the middle and having that you know art of um, coaching and, and communication to to develop from there. And I think sometimes. It was interesting saying there about you know people uh, trying to find that secret ingredient from di from different coaches. I know for me, until the, I started working with the coach that that I'm working with, you know, you do try you do try other things and you know see see what fits, and that's not not necessarily a, a bad thing. But I think that's only got. Um, that's only got a limited shelf life before actually you're just spinning your wheels and realizing that actually you're dotting around programs and coaches that much that, you know, at some point something will have to click to be like, Oh yeah, actually, do you know what? They've all said the same, they've all said, all said the same thing. It's the same principles. It's just being able to being able to stick to it. And the, the longer that you stick to something for, then you're going to be able to uh, have the, um, have the option to try different things once sort of that foundation that that foundation has has, has been made um so yeah it's a it, it's an interesting an interesting topic to to chat about because from a client's point of view i think people are like right well how long they want they want an answer of right i want this in in 10 weeks because they've seen a program they've seen some uh, something on instagram that guy got shredded in in ten weeks, and I and I and I want to do that. But then, from a coach's point of view, I think they're thinking, right? Actually, from a, a, a fundamental point of view, we need to do this. But then also, like what you mentioned, we, they want results with want results with it with the clients. And I think you know, being able to compromise that by changing sometimes as a coach, you you you're setting yourself back a little bit rather than trusting your own process to to allow that allow them to get there um so quite a few topics um covered uh covered there but the the last question that i, I like to ask from everything that we've chatted about um for everyone listening what would be your take-home points or words of wisdom oh wow um, <laughs> so yeah i guess a lot of it has been talking about kind of coaching and getting the most from clients in that sense and i think for me, uh, it all boils down to like, you don't have to be the smartest, most educated coach. That's not what makes a coach being able to communicate effectively. And this comes from a client as well, uh, like communicate with one another, effectively be open and honest and uh, talk things through is that that's kind of the, the hallmark of coaching. And as a coach, you want to build your clients up, but be honest with them and like tell them how it is. And then as a client, you also, if you have questions, expect them to be answered and kind of have those answers there. Don't just like sign up with a coach and expect them to have the silver bullet, ask them, kind of question them, understand the process. And likewise, as a coach to your client, like 
make sure that they feel like they can trust you and build that rapport. So yeah, I'd say communication is just like the, the hallmark of effective coaching. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we touched on it a little bit at the start that communication doesn't have to be shouting across the gym or screaming in the face saying, put, put more weight on. There's, don't get me wrong, I've, I've seen coaches like coaches like that in the, in the gym, but equally, you know, there's, there's other coaches, um, and myself included, that'll just have, uh, uh, a regular volume uh, conversation conversation with people. And I think that's one of the big things that I think sometimes can be misinterpreted that actually, you know, you need to be um, uh, speak to the client on the, on their level or where, or where they are. And equally I've had clients who are, you know, they're coming to the gym and they're bouncing and then they sort of pass that energy on to you. And then you, yeah. you started being a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more energetic, but yeah, I think, I think communication is, um, is, is, re- is really, is really important. Um, so yeah, thanks a lot for taking the time to, to jump on Steve, but if anyone's got any questions, about what we've chatted about today want to check out your podcast or get involved in some some coaching with you and um, where can they find you or, or reach out to you yeah thank you for having me on it's been a good chat hopefully there's some take-homes for some people listening <laughs> uh so yeah i'm i mean revivestronger.com is our website so they can find the podcast on there they can find our member site coaching all of that stuff um if people want to reach out to me personally i'm most active on instagram so i'm just revive stronger um and yeah thank you Cheers. Awesome. No worries at all. Thanks a lot for taking the time to jump on. Um, Thanks a lot to everybody listening and I will see you all next week.